0: Good morning again. Our reading today is taken from Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 13. It is on page 977 in the Black Bibles, Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive by my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has been revealed now to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel.
1: One of the reasons that we take a book of the Bible and walk through it, a letter or a book, is because there's often passages, long sections of Scripture, that we would not normally cover if we were not forced to do it, if we did not take the time, the energy to look through it. I think this is one of these, that if if we hadn't, if I at least hadn't been forced to walk through this, I would not have looked at it closely enough, but it is an amazing passage of Scripture, and it's meant to lead us out, I think, into this new year. We have been in a series in Ephesians. We are about halfway through now. We're going to keep on going. Before we do, let's pray together. We are so grateful to you, O Heavenly Father, once again, that we can come and learn from your word, learn from your revealed knowledge, your wisdom, your manifold wisdom. It is laid out before us for us. We stand in Jesus Christ and him alone. We have the spirit who is working inside of us all so that we may glorify you in understanding you. Understanding your plan for this world, for our lives. How we can take part in your mission. How we can love what you love. So would you make that happen this morning? God, we bring in sin. We're not going to want to hear what you have for us today but this is from you for your glory and for our good and for the sake of the world. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. What does that last verse say in chapter three? It says, sorry, in verse 13, the last section right there, chapter three, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, I think that's the overarching point of the passage, of this passage. He starts out by, he's, he's about ready to pray for them, and he's going to get to that in verse 14, but he starts to pray, and then he says, I've got I've to backtrack. I've, I've got to fill in a few more things. I've got to lay some more foundation. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, he is... Speaking to the Ephesian church, mainly the Gentiles, and, and he's speaking to them and he's saying, I don't want you to suffer too much because of my suffering. And Paul was greatly suffering, wasn't he? He was in prison. All of these words were penned in a dark cell. He was in chains. We do not know how, for how long. This was no white-collar prison. It was a Roman jail. And he says to them, do not worry. Now, why would they worry? Why would they worry? My sense is not only because they loved Paul, though they did. They loved Paul. They did not like the idea of one of their most cherished leaders, one of the main proponents of the gospel in Jesus Christ. They did not like that he was suffering there. But the way he talks in the other verses, it's not just to undergird his own calling, but to undergird theirs. I think that they see themselves in Paul. They see his suffering, and they wonder if, when it is going to be theirs too. Will they suffer too like Christ did? So there's a new book in the the Christian world. It's a history book, and it's about the early church. It's really fascinating. It asks the question, why did anyone become a Christian at that time? Why did anyone become a Christian at that time? And it's a good one. Because when you became a Christian back in that early church in the first century, it was a tremendous risk. Tremendous risk for centuries. Now, on the one hand, the Roman government did not care about your religion. Not really. Except for the fact that your religion said, I will serve God, Christ, the Holy Spirit only, and no one else. Now, that would not have been received well by the Roman government. They demanded allegiance to Caesar and to all of the gods. The Romans needed your allegiance. They needed to know that they could keep you in line. Religiously, they believed that if too many Christians stopped worshiping the gods, well, that could really bode well for all of the people because then the gods would be made angry. Socially, politically, it would have been very disruptive to have a huge group of people denying Roman faith, walking this new countercultural road. Okay, so those are the Christians. Now what's interesting is they allowed the, the Jews to continue in their faith, even though they were very monotheistic, right? They served one God, they would serve no other. Now Rome put up with this probably because... The Jews were a race. They were primarily one race of people, so they could be easily controlled. That's what this book gets at. They could be boundaried off. But then Jesus comes. This new faith begins. And now this same monotheism, this same dedication to only one God was for all people. Anyone could come into the church Anyone could trust him and him alone. Here was an idea, a religion, a faith. The Romans could not control or boundary off, and so the Christians, they paid dearly for it. That's the background. Paul, of course, was one of the first. He was one of the first, but you get the sense from this epistle and others that everyone was beginning to feel the pinch, and it would become far worse than anyone realized. And so Paul is telling them, Not just for his sake, but for theirs. Do not be dismayed. Do not be dismayed at my own suffering and your impending suffering. Do not be dismayed for you have been called to something utterly amazing, glorious, important. Though I do wonder if you have begun to feel the way Christians did back then. Not in the same way. But it is not such a no-brainer to become a Christian anymore. To give your life to Jesus every part, to trust him and him alone for your salvation, to live your life completely in accordance with him, to live countercultural lives of holiness and mercy and sacrifice and evangelism. To take stands of truth against the tidal waves of changing culture. To forsake many worldly pleasures to serve him. To suffer with dignity and hope. We are asking again, maybe like them, is this really what we are called to? Is this really what we want to give our lives to? We're at the beginning of a new year and it's always important, I think, at least once a year, if not all the time, but at least now, to take stock, to look over our lives, to remember that we have been called to this, to something utterly amazing, glorious, and important. We have been called by grace. Let's walk through this passage together using three points. One, Given to God's goals. Two, fueled by God's grace. And three, confident in God's son. One, given to God's goals. Given to God's goals. Look at verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Okay, you can stop there. A prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, I want you to think about something. If you were in jail, how would your letters sound? If you're in prison, you're writing your people, your friends, your family, how would they sound? What would you say? Now, I've never been in, in jail, if you can believe that. I've never been in prison, but my parents did send me to camp one year. Same thing, at least I thought. I hated every second of camp. And then there came a time where we got to write letters, and I go Here we go. Here's my opportunity. I'm going to write my parents. And my parents actually kept this letter and it said something like, get me out of here. This place is the worst. The food is bad. The leaders are lame. I am dying. As I licked that envelope, I thought to myself, here we go. I'm out of here. They're going to come get me. The only problem is that the letter did not actually reach them until after I had gotten home. How would your letter sound from a Roman prison? What would you say if you were in jail for your faith? Paul is there. He's writing the church. But he does not say, this is a great tragedy. I have been hung out to dry by the Jews. I am suffering under the injustice of the Roman government. That's what I would say. He says very deliberately, I am a prisoner of Christ. I am a prisoner of Christ. What is he saying? My life is not my own. He was in prison for the glory of God and the service of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. How could he complain if Jesus had called him to this life to live and serve and even suffer? And so we see straight out of the gate part of what it means to be called of grace, to be a Christian. You must be willing to die to self. You must be willing to die to self. On the one hand, this means sacrificing your privilege. Sacrificing your privilege. Think of Paul before his conversion. Think of his life. He was at the top of the ticket. He was the main guy. And now he is reveling in his imprisonment. Now that's not surprising. If you see the trajectory of his life, he was at the top and Christ brought him low on that road to Damascus, right? He was totally humbled and he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Do you know what the name Paul actually means? Any Greek Latin speaker would have heard it. They would have said, well, that means small. Paul is another word for small, for little. From Saul, he was named after Saul, the great, tall, powerful, beautiful king of Israel, to Paul. No power, no prestige. When you are called to follow Christ, your claim to power, position, prestige, it fades away. When John the Baptist, he's on the scene, and he has this, there's this point in his life where he can lead, he can go out on his own, start his own thing, Or he can follow. And then Jesus Christ comes on the scene. He sees him. He sees him there. And he says, I I cannot lead. I must follow. I must give my life over to him. What does he say? Less of me and more of him. Is that your life? Are you willing to lose whatever power or position or status you have gained? This is the call of grace. But I don't think this is the only thing. Lots of people will sacrifice for something. They will suffer for something. Maybe consciously, subconsciously, they do it to seek acclaim, prestige. Even in their suffering, they're looking for something, right? They're looking for a reward. At the end of my suffering, I better get something out of this. The call of grace calls you to something opposite. Not only do you lose your power and your prestige, not only are you called to suffer, but you are also willing to deny merit. Hear that again. You are willing to deny merit. In essence, you stop needing to get something for your Christian service. Verse 2, Ephesians 3, 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul was an astounding preacher and evangelist, right? He was a unique intellectual force, one of the smartest guys ever. But for him, everything that he had was given to him by the grace of God. He was not merely Christ's servant. He was entirely powered by Christ's goodness To him. If you are a Christian, you can't say, Look at what I have done. Now give me my reward. We must serve entirely in the strength of Jesus. Peter said it this way in his his epistle Let whoever serves serve as one who serves. By the strength that God supplies, so that, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you are called to the faith, you do not simply die to yourself, but needing to get anything back from it. Now, that's a radical departure for how many of us live our lives, how we live our lives before Jesus. Everything in us says we got to get something back for what we do, right? Everything that we do, we we got to get something, at least a, a thanks, some gratitude. What happens when that gratitude does not come? If you are living for merit and then suffering hits, Your life will spiral out of control. No one had sacrificed more than Paul. He could have died, think about this, he could have died writing this letter. He had no idea. He may not have ever heard of the progress of the Christian church, and yet he is writing with absolute joy, content, satisfied, even in his suffering, even though he's been cast into a darkened cell and lost all of his power and prestige. He is not earning anything by this. Is this your life? Are you willing to lose privilege? Are you willing to forsake merit? And we need to keep on going. We need to keep on digging. If we stop there, that's not the complete picture. If we call that maybe the, the mentality that we have, We have the mentality as Christians that we're willing to forsake all things. We give our lives to Jesus Christ. We are slaves to him. Well, what do we do out of this? What is the action out of this? Well, when you are called by grace, you are willing to live for others. And that makes sense, right? You don't live for yourself any longer. You live for the people of God. Start in verse 1 again. the spirit. Now, that's a lot of stuff that's, that's, that's thick. It's dense. But I just want you to see what he says in verse 2. What is his job? That's what he's explaining, what his job is. He is a steward of God's grace. He is a steward of this mystery, this revealed mystery. He was called to administer it. Grace was given not only to save him, but to tell the world about Jesus. And he did so by revealing the truth of the gospel. This was Paul's immense burden, as he'll say later, to make known the glorious riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, now here's my question to you. Friends, we're at the beginning of the year. You again are taking stock of your life as a Christian. Is your burden different than Paul's? As a beneficiary of grace, do you have a different calling than Paul? Now, you may not become like Paul. A lot of us won't. Most of us won't. You may not become a professional evangelist or pastor. Many of us are going to work in fields that have nothing to do with direct evangelism or ministry. But as a beneficiary of grace, is your call not to be burdened To share Jesus. Like a man or woman who receives the first treatment for the cure of cancer. You have it, and you receive the first cure. They've discovered it. You are healed. You are saved. You live. Now maybe you don't become a doctor because of this. You probably don't. But having discovered the cure to your disease... You now shout this news from the mountaintops. This news has shaped your life. It shapes your life now. Here is the cure to the worst disease in the world, and I want you to know about it. The mark of the call of grace is a willingness to give yourself to others by sharing what you have received, the truth of grace the gospel, your life should be shaped by this burden. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, a tradesman, a florist, a banker, a nurse, a pastor. Friends, do you have the burden, a burden to share this mystery, he calls it, the good news. Now, what is the mystery? I just want to cover this quickly. What is the mystery? What is the revealed mystery? Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, he explained this a couple weeks ago, when we went through it a couple of weeks ago, but he's saying it again. Here is the revealed mystery. Here's the thing that no one knew before Christ came. What he now knows and is sharing with everyone who will hear, salvation is not only for the Jews. Salvation is for anyone who would believe. There was no longer a dividing wall, right? right? It was abolished. There was no longer separation between Gentile, which was everyone else, and the Jews. If you believed in Jesus alone for your salvation, vertically you are made one with Christ. You are given the Spirit. You are made an heir to the inheritance of God. But also something horizontal happened. You can now join in harmony with everyone else who believes. All barriers torn down, all separations abolished, race, gender, class. In other words, the mystery that had been uncovered in Christ was the greatest news in the world. Why do you think Oleg Rootkey of New Hope Eurasia, he was here a couple of months ago. Why does he keep on sharing the gospel? He does so, so joyfully. Why does he do it? Is it because he'll receive financial gain? Social gain? Political benefit? Absolutely not. He with his people proclaim Christ because it is the great hope to the nations, to the girls and the boys trapped in the slave trade to gypsies living as an underclass, to men and women stuck in a church with no way to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Oleg's ministry offers the gospel over and over despite the risks because he believes, rightly, that it is the only true and lasting answer to our needs, to the world's needs. We are called of grace, and this means that we live our lives in service of him, shaped by this amazing gospel. Take the incredible life of Martin Berman. He and his wife were medical missionaries to the Philippines a decade or so ago. They were captured by rebels, and they were held for over 300 days, and they were made to suffer greatly. They would carry... Supplies for them into terrible areas, to war-torn areas. But Martin and his wife, no matter what they were asked to do, never complained. And yet they, and they sought to serve their captors with gladness. Martin's wife said that he would say to her, Honey, the Bible says to serve the Lord with gladness. Let's go all the way. Let's serve him all the way with gladness. And day in and day out, they would do that. And it began to have an effect. The kidnappers every night would fight over who would chain them to wherever they were, who would put the shackles on them. Because every time they did, every time they would go to do that, Martin and his wife would look at them and they would say, thank you, thank you. They hated hearing that. Why did Martin live that life out? Why did his wife live in the service of Jesus Christ with gladness? Well, he loved Jesus for saving him. And he knew that Jesus was the only hope even for his captors. God had given him this imprisonment and, Paul and Martin took it as a sign to serve Christ. And so literally any chance that he had, he would gently, simply explain the gospel to these men who tortured them. Martin eventually died in captivity after a failed rescue attempt, after 376 days in captivity. I have a feeling though that he did it with gladness, even his death. We are called of grace. Called to God's purposes, not our own. Two, fueled by God's grace. Two, fueled by God's grace. Okay, why do we do it? We've been saying it, but we need to say it more explicitly. What are the the reasons we heed the call? I just want to say two things. It's something foundational and then something extraordinary. Something foundational and something extraordinary. The foundational thing is this. A deep understanding and love of grace. That's it. What fuels us is an understanding, a deep love of grace itself. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now we've already seen the upshot of, of Paul's call. He is called to live his life out in the service of others for the sake of the gospel. Even though it may cost him everything, right? Now let's look directly at what fuels this in his life And heart, this is the consistent driver and motivator. And it's this. He is humbled and passionate because of grace. Everything that has been given to him, he has not earned. In verse 7, it says that all of Paul's abilities, his calling, it was by God's grace and power. Do you see that? I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He sees it all as something that has been given to him. And then verse 8 says that he did not earn it or deserve it. This is evident in verse 8. He is the very least of the saints. This was not hyperbole. This was the core of Paul's faith. He believed deep down he was nothing apart from Jesus. Listen to what he says. Verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What is he saying? He's saying what we all must say. I don't deserve this. I am far worse than even I realized. Not just in earthly terms. And that was true for Paul. He persecuted and even murdered Christians. But now he knows who he is in the eyes of God. And now we do too. We realize how lost we are apart from him. Our only chance in this life is grace. Our only hope is grace. Is to be given all of Christ's riches at his expense. Is your life marked by a love of grace? Verse 8 again. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. We're going to hear the why. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To bring light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery? Hidden for ages in God who created all things. To bring light to everyone. To reveal the plan. To preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Again, this is not hyperbole. The unsearchable riches riches. He believes more than anything that God's grace, that his gospel, that Christ himself is beautifully, wonderfully unsearchable. I love how John Stott talks about this. This is what he says. Translators and commentators compete with one another in their attempt to find a dynamic equivalent in the English for the word unsearchable. The riches of Christ, they say, are unsearchable, inexplorable untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, and incalculable. Perhaps the Good News Bible's infinite is the simplest for what is certain about the wealth Christ has and gives is that we shall never come to an end of it. When you are called by grace, you are fueled by grace. Now, that's foundational. That's, now We're going to move to something extraordinary. And I don't mean that grace is not extraordinary. It is, but I, you're going to hear what I mean. Extraordinary. The called are fueled by grace that is given to the church for this reason, he says in verse 10, for the sake of the heavenly host. Let's start in verse 8 again. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Have you ever read this verse before? We are used to hearing that we are to proclaim the gospel of grace so that people here on earth may be saved. So they will come to Jesus. That is foundational. It's absolutely what we do. It is only through Jesus Christ that they will hear his name and be saved. That's an incredible motivation to to share your faith. But then Paul adds this thing that we do not think about very often. It's extraordinary. And It is so easy to miss. It's like standing on the side of a hill and not knowing you are standing on the side of a mountain. We do not know this. We don't think about this. Paul is saying that the grace that is being shown to the church is not just for the church. It is not just for the people on this planet. It is to be displayed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, what does that mean? Our best guess is simply the heavenly host. The angels, the great beings in heaven are to be amazed at the grace that is shown to sinners. They are to be amazed at the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold, it it means something like tapestry. Many colors, like Joseph's coat. He had a many colored coat. The translation from that would have been a word like this, manifold. God's wisdom in saving the world through Christ is a great tapestry. I love how Brian Chappell sees it. He says the heavenly host are to look at those of us in the church with all of our sin, our differing personalities, our cultural prejudices, and color differences, and say, how did God do that? How did he get such a difficult and disagreeable set of creatures in one body, to praise him. The manifold wisdom of the creator God is truly great. The next time you question your calling. The next time you are suffering for some choice that you've made on behalf of Jesus Christ. Remember that the heavenly host are watching. Not to hold you accountable or to give you guilt but to take joy in what you are doing. They are watching you with great excitement and wonder. These, the most intelligent and powerful and wise creatures ever to be created, long for nothing more than to see you at work giving your life for the sake of the gospel. Now that is fuel. That is fuel for our mission, for our call of grace. Last point, confident in God's Son. Confident in God's Son. So remember where we started at the very beginning? We started with verse 13. What did it read? So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Friends, your calling is not going to be Paul's. He was called in a way into something that no one else was. He was called to a ministry no one else was. But listen, every calling is unique. Every calling is unique. Your calling is unique to you. God will call you to something different than your neighbor, to your church friend. And which that means that your challenges will be unique. You do not know what God is going to bring you. You do not know which doors are going to be open to you. You do not know the lengths to which God is going to call you. But we must be ready. We must be ready to live in service for him. In the end, all of our power, all of our strength, therefore, must come from Jesus Christ. If we try to do it on our own, we will fade away. We will die. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Our calling is only as strong as he who has called us. And Jesus is strong. He is mighty. He is loving and kind no matter what you are called to do. No matter what life you are called to lead, He will lead you and He will supply you with what you need. And we know this because of His life. His very life. He did not forsake His call. When the Father called Him to come down on earth forsaking His glory, He did so with gladness when he was asked to go to the cross and die with shame and guilt, he did not say no. For you and me, he said, yes, losing all of his prestige, losing all of his merit, his blood poured out for the salvation of the world. This was his highest and greatest burden. It is in knowing this that we are made confident in Jesus, our calling, It is in in Him. Okay, I just want to give you two New Year's resolutions before you go out based on this. Two things. One, learn the gospel, learn the truth of the gospel in a way you can explain. Say that again. Learn the gospel in a way that you can explain. You might say at this point, right, I know the gospel. I know it. You do, but do you know it in a way that you can share it? If you become a member here at Grace Point, one of the things that we ask, I'm giving this to anyone who's not a member yet. You're getting, you're getting to see behind the curtain a little bit. We usually make people do this without ever telling them. They have to do it on the spot. I'm telling you now. We say, if you're in an elevator with someone it has a hundred floors and they say, what's the gospel? And you have a hundred floors to tell them. What do you say? What is the truth that you relay to them? It is not as easy as you think it is. I, I had to learn the hard way. I was about 20 and our church did this thing with our youth group where we went to a, a conference called Operation Good News. And it was a training for a day and then two full days of sharing your faith with people on the streets of Seattle. It was harrowing to say the least. And I remember coming in thinking I understood the gospel. I did not I understood it. I was saved, but I did not know how to explain it. And boy, I learned fast. Do you understand the gospel in a way that you can say it, that you can explain it, that is clear to someone else? Grab one of our little things out here. It's a little, a little pamphlet that says, what is the gospel? Take that, read through it. God, man, Christ response. There's a million ways you can say it. One time I sat down with a guy and I had to explain it three different ways <laughs> before he got it. It was worth it. Learn the gospel in a way that you can explain it. And here's the other thing. You probably hear this coming. Explain it. Explain it. Bring this good news to someone. Maybe it's just one person this year. Maybe you have an open door to them and you can share your heart. Maybe there is a closed door that you need to break down. Share with everyone who will listen, Christ. Share your struggles, your failures, your successes in the light of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. People want to hear this. And if not, you walk away confident in Jesus and him alone. There is no calling like the call of grace. And I pray that we live that way this year. Let's pray. God, we thank you for new beginnings, for a new year, for a chance again to give our lives to you. You have purchased us with your blood. We sang that today. Our name, it's written on you. We are with you. We are adopted. We live entirely now by grace. And may that amazing call, may it go down deep into us that we would be shaped by it. That whatever we do, whatever our job, whatever our profession, wherever we live, we would share you, maybe without our words, maybe with our words. Oh, but God, we need your help. We need your help in this church. New England is not the easiest place to share Christ, but it is where you have called us. New England is not the easiest place to be a Christian, but this is where you have called us. May we live up to to it in your grace, confident totally in you. In Jesus' name, amen.